Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. didn't lose in Washington last night because of Chris Letang's broken sticks. Um, you know, I'm going to start that one again. Because they actually did lose that game because of Letang's broken sticks. What was that all about? Who's his manufacturer and under what desk are they hiding this morning? Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins, I also do daily shots of Steelers and Pirates if you're interested in football and or baseball. It was Washington 5, Pittsburgh 2 last night at Capital One Center. The Penguins had another one of those really impressive comebacks that they just keep generating again and again and again. They were down 2 nothing, entering the third, scored twice to tie, uh, really poured it on the Capitals, I thought, in that period and looked like they were pressing for another goal. Uh, and then Latang breaks a stick, blocking a shot. Washington capitalizes. No forward gave Latang a stick. And then at the other end of the rink, when the Penguins are trying to tie, Latang gets a tape-to-tape, point-to-point pass from Pierre-Olivier Joseph that mysteriously snaps the blade right off of his stick. Like, you could watch hockey at every level your entire life and not see that. I have seen some really delicate sticks. I've seen sticks break in thin air, but you'd have to presume, of course, that something had happened to them at some other point in the game for them to be that bad. Maybe that was true in this event as well, but I doubt it because, remember, Latang had just broken another stick right before that. So chances are really good this one was brand new and hadn't had any damage until, of course, that rocket pass from POJ. Yes, Latang's sticks cost the game. But they weren't alone. I can't say it enough. Power Play 1 needs to be blown up completely. This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you by Warrior Alpaca Socks. What makes their socks different is the alpaca fiber used in their construction. It's stronger, softer, far less irritating to the skin, more breathable, hypoallergenic, warmer than wool. This is the time of year for Warrior Alpaca Socks. When you go to their website, warrioralpacasocks.com, use the code DK to get 15% off your first order. One more time, warrioralpacasocks.com. Use the code DK just for our podcast listeners. Here's my complete list of things I like about the Penguins' top power play unit. There, I'm done, because that's really it. I don't believe that it does anything well other than zone entry and setup. Now, zone entry and setups 
are a nice skill. I've also covered power plays, including Pittsburgh power plays, that had a really tough time with setting up, and as a result, they weren't very good at anything because they never came close to doing anything out of a power play formation. These guys at least do that. But after that, they are astoundingly easy to defend, and you can almost feel that in watching them from the opponent's perspective. Let me walk you through what I mean when I say that. There are times in watching a game, but especially covering a game, where I'll try to watch what's happening from the other side's point of view. In other words, instead of looking at what Latang and Malkin are doing or whatever else here, I'll look at a key penalty killer, like a Carl Hagelin uh, on the Capitals, and say, all right, what's Haggy concerned with? What's he looking at here? Who's he covering? What's his mission? What's his assignment? Because that'll tell you an awful lot about what the team you cover is doing. In this game, and really, honestly here, throughout the season, most teams' approach to penalty killing against the Penguins, especially the top unit, comes down to this. Hey, they want to pass the puck around the perimeter. We're going to be very happy to watch them pass the puck around the perimeter. We're going to set up our sticks in a way that we keep people out of the box area on the ice. It's basically a collapsible box. Think of it that way. There's four PK guys out there. Uh, it's not a square. It's more of a rectangle, a vertical rectangle. And they line up and they say, nothing's getting through here. We don't care what you do from out there. Nothing's getting through here. So the Penguins will do that. And occasionally the Penguins will then get at least a little bit ambitious and try to drop one of those saucer passes inside that triangle. When they do so, one of two things happens. The puck is intercepted, that happens more often than not, or it goes to a winger who either can't or won't shoot the puck effectively from that spot. End power play. That's it. That is the ceiling for this power play. That is not at all a criticism of the talents of any of the five individuals involved two of whom are going to the Hall of Fame, one of whom is the highest-scoring defenseman in franchise history, another of whom not so long ago scored 40 goals, and the other of whom is their only 30-goal pace guy both last season and this season. And, of course, the last two I'm referring to, Jake Gensel and Brian Rust. When those guys got chances on the power play last night and really through most of the season, they haven't shot the puck. They've been at the net, but it hasn't mattered because the puck hasn't gone there with them. It hasn't been passed there because that apparently is beneath this group. There's no solving this. There's no let's practice tomorrow and get it right. Let's try harder on Long Island. There isn't a correct answer for Mike Sullivan to find from this group. 
And I continue to be dismayed that he just keeps sending the same five guys over the boards. Not only that, but they stay out for a minute and a half, or even in one case last night, the full two minutes. Because they're that good? What is anyone in this equation thinking about this? Not just Sullivan, not just Todd Reardon, who's now responsible for the power play. That's why he was brought here, remember? But I'm, I can't even imagine, from the recent outsider's perspective, what Ron Hextall and Brian Burke are thinking about the power play, about its execution, and about its management. Because when we all watch PP2 come onto the rink, what happens? You see shots on goal. You know? I mean, whether it's uh, Mike Matheson, who has other shortcomings and other issues, but his offensive play certainly isn't one of them, Mike Matheson finds a way to get the puck to the net. POJ finds a way to get the puck to the net. Marcus Pedersen finds a way to get to the puck to the net. Chris Letang, really, that's never been a strength of his. I don't mean to be the, the guy who, you know, praises Letang the, the time he scores two goals in the game and wins it and everything else here because he obviously has significant offensive talents. But I don't know that the power play has ever been something that he's been really good at. And I, and I don't have to wonder if others agree with that when I saw a head coach routinely rotate him with Justin Schultz, as Sullivan did, for a very long time. And sometimes lowering Latang and elevating Schultz to the top power play. So I'm hardly isolated in this. I don't like Latang on the right point. I really don't like Malkin on the left point. I want to see a shooter there. He doesn't shoot on the power play. He doesn't shoot in most instances. I want to see at least one forward who's rudely and ruthlessly parked at the front of the net. Maybe that's Zach Aston Reese. I don't know. What's Mark Jankowski doing on power play two in that role? Sid, I don't know. Sid feels like another discussion for another day. Because you know what ends up happening? You say something negative about Sid, and then Sid will just like put up five points against the Islanders in the first game, and then like four in the second game, and you'll think, oh man, did I really say something about Sid? We'll see how much longer this goes on. But for now, Sid's not exactly helping the power play either. Uh, in the recent past, meaning the, the past four or five games, I didn't think he was getting the puck enough. Last night, he got the puck a ton. Still didn't matter. Still didn't matter. Nothing changed. Jake just refuses to shoot. I, how many chances he passed up? I have no idea. And Rust, when he gets there, I mean, look, it's nice that he scores goals. That's great. But I wouldn't confuse him with a trigger man on the power play. Oh, by the way, the Penguins have one of those, too, and he watches from the bench, and that's Kasperi Kapanen. Kapanen was born to score goals. He was born to be a trigger man. All you had to do was watch what he did on that overtime goal the other night. I know it's a different setting, three-on-three three and everything else here, but watch his instincts. He's a goal scorer. He's a gunner. 
this power play has not one member whose first instinct is to shoot the puck. It's always third or fourth on their list. That has to change. I'm sorry, it has to change with personnel, not with strategy, not with hope, and not with being conciliatory to these guys because of who they are. This power play stinks, and it stinks on ice. And when we come back, just one question. Welcome back. Time for just one question. If you'd like to leave one, you can do that by visiting DK Pittsburgh Sports. Find the article that contains this podcast and leave it right there in comments. This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you always by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. They're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need in western Pennsylvania. They're here for you when you need them. Go to pittsburghfoodbank.org slash get help to find food near you. And our just one question comes from R. Donahue, who asks, with Mike Matheson's supposed defensive liability play, would management or Matheson himself think of using him as a winger, a la Brent Burns back in the day? His offensive hockey sense is definitely there. Um, I'm going to guess you kind of go way back with hockey because this was a thing that used to be common. Um, You'd hear this a lot. Whenever a defenseman wasn't so great in his own end but was super spectacular in the other end, they would say, well, he should be, he should be playing up front. Now, believe it or not, there were people that would even wonder that about Bobby Orr, especially since Orr was the, the first and the greatest to begin the attack from the back end and make it matter. They said it about Paul Coffey, uh, both in Edmonton and in Pittsburgh, and actually well into his career and the many different teams that he uh, stopped through along the way. Yeah, he's lost a little bit on defense, but move him up front. Move him up front, he'll be fine. Um, These things don't work very often. They just don't. Uh, A defenseman is a defenseman for a reason, and once they're back there, they don't really lose that. They don't ever look too comfortable on the wing. If you're thinking about recent Pittsburgh history, uh, remember when Derek Engeland was back on the blue line and everyone said, well, he's so tough and he works so hard and everything else, maybe he should be up front just so you can get him in the lineup. The defense was a little deep at the time. And he went up to the wing and, I mean, he was okay, but he always looked to me as if he was gazing back longingly into the defensive zone, wishing that he was further back. And eventually, with Pittsburgh and then with Vegas, he ended up back there. Brent Burns ended up back there. Coffey stayed back there. Uh, I've heard some of the same stuff about Latang over the years. Latang's always been back there. Um, there's some stubbornness that comes with that that old school thinking that doesn't sufficiently value 
what an offensive defenseman brings from that vantage point, the one I referenced with Orr. If you think of Matheson's biggest contributions to the Penguins so far, I mean, you're going to think about the, you know, the ridiculous slap pass to himself off the end boards to set up the Teddy Bluger goal the other night. But you're also going to look back at some of the coast-to-coasters that he's done. Uh, that freaks teams out. That freaks them out in their preparation. Uh, that freaks them out in the neutral zone because they know they're getting outnumbered or sometimes they just think they're getting outnumbered because it's a defenseman carrying the puck. I'm not prepared to give up on Matheson as a defenseman. He had a, a not great night in Washington. Uh, yes, it was a superb goal that TJ Oshie scored, but you can't get beat one-on-one like that in that point of the rink the way Matheson did. And you can't get burned the way Matheson did the other night with Richard Ponick cutting into the inside. Matheson actually had body position on him. He had the skating angle and he had the strength to knock Panic off the puck, which he should have done, and he didn't. He allowed Panic to go to the dramatically, I thought, to the inside to swipe the puck around Tristan Jari. Uh, he needs work, and he's not a child. He's not a prospect. I get that. But if the Penguins can get him to settle his game down uh, the way they succeeded in doing a few years back with Justin Schultz, who had a lot of the same knocks when he was in Edmonton, this will be a really valuable player for the Penguins. And what I've liked the most about Matheson, other than his offense, is that he's got a really good head on his shoulders and he's got heart. Usually when you're talking about offensive defensemen who don't defend well, you're usually doing so because they don't care to defend well. I haven't sensed that with Matheson at all. I think he just needs to have more of a more of a a trained head in the game. If such a thing is is possible with him, I guess we'll find out. But no, moving him up, no. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody who's listened all week and we'll do this again on Monday. Point Park University, in the heart of downtown Pittsburgh, they understand there's no substitute for real-world experience and career-building connections. Their innovative curriculum engages students with distinctive experiential learning opportunities. Point Park's pioneering co-op program empowers qualified students to work in full-time, paid positions with their corporate partners while earning college credits. Visit pointpark.edu works to learn more. Career ready. That's the point. Point Park University. Your front door. Your car. Your gym locker. Your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.